Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Simply Rich. In this series, we are exploring a biblical view on money and wealth and what that looks like for us today. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Listen, we're in the last uh, uh, sermon of this series called Simply Rich. We've been looking at uh, how to manage money God's way. We've been looking at what God's word says. And every week I've given you this phrase because I think this phrase is very important. I didn't come up with this phrase. Pastor Chad Moore shared it with me and and it's an important phrase. And so it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me again. All right. I will not put my hope in riches, but in the one who loves me richly. Would you say it with me? I will not put my hope in riches, but the one who loves me richly. So that's what we have to wrap our heads around. You know, when we look at scripture and we see what God teaches us about riches, worldly wealth, about money, we have to recognize that we need to put our trust in him and recognize that everything we have in this life, everything has been given to us to manage and to take care of for the time that we spend on this earth. And when that time is over, we can't take any of that stuff with us. All right. So we want to recognize that we want to be good managers, or as the Bible says, good stewards of what he has given to us and placed into our responsibility. Last week, I shared with you that we're going to talk about this concept of tithing. Uh, Some of you know about it. Some of you might not know about it. Whatever your experience is with it, I just ask you to have an open mind to hear about it, because this is how God instructed us to put him first. And so I'm going to try to explain the, the whole concept here and, and then talk about how we can respond to that. Uh, you know, when we think about this, you, you know, I want to talk about first things with God. And, you know, first things are important to us. I mean, think about the first things in your life. You know, maybe you remember the, the first day of school or the first day of your new job or, or the, the first time you saw the person that you fell in love with for the rest of your life or, or whatever those first are. I'm sure you're thinking of those. Firsts are important to God, too. And so to start with, I want to talk about the principle of the firstborn. It's not a principle that I made up. Um, It's out of scripture. And so we're going to look at that. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 13, or if you've got a Bible app, it's also going to be on the screen behind me. And we're going to look at what God said about the firstborn in the book of Exodus chapter 13. Starting at verse 2, then we're going to jump down to verses 12 and 13. God says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So there's this idea that the firstborn belongs to God. And and there's this whole idea in Judaism, uh, even today it's practiced, uh, about uh, clean and unclean animals. And and so uh, I want to share a little bit about that because there's this idea that we're supposed to redeem those um, that are unclean 
And we do that by sacrificing a, a lamb, which is a clean animal, and, and then uh, it's, it's able to, be, to stay with us. And we saw there, if you don't redeem it, you're supposed to, to break its neck. So there's this idea that the firstborn belong to God, and there's this idea that some animals are clean and some are unclean. Uh, clean animals would be animals that uh, if you were a practicing Jew, you could eat. All right. Uh, unclean animals would be those animals that you couldn't eat. If you want to look for a list of those, you can go to the book of Leviticus. You can go to the book of Acts and you'll see two different kinds of lists and you'll see them. So there's the idea that you would um, uh, sacrifice the, the firstborn clean animal and you would do that and that would you would sacrifice it to God and that animal would be therefore given to at the temple. So the priest and their families would have that meat to be able to eat. It was sacrificed to God. Or if you had an unclean animal, you were either supposed to kill it or sacrifice a clean animal for it so that it would be um, made redeemed. So it would be redeemed. Um, so there's this idea that uh, the clean firstborn is to be sacrificed and the unclean firstborn is to be redeemed. Not all of the animals, just the firstborn. So this is what God is saying. And it's not just something that was part of the story of the Exodus. If you, if you know the story of the Exodus about how Israel was taken into captivity by Egypt and they were made slaves to Egypt to help Egypt build all of its wonderful monuments. Um, and eventually God sent Moses to go and have the people released from the Pharaoh of Egypt and Pharaoh wouldn't listen, and so God sent 10 plagues. And the last plague that he sent was the plague of the firstborn. And if you remember the story, uh, God told Moses to tell the people that um, God was going to send a plague, and all of the firstborn uh, of the animals and of humans uh, would be taken unless you took a clean animal, a lamb, sacrifices saved the blood, took the blood, and painted it on the door frames of the house so that when the angel of death came, it would see the blood over the doorway and it would pass over. All right, and that's where the Jews get the celebration of Passover. They're celebrating that the angel of death passed over them. And so that, that was what God did for Israel. And that's what finally got Pharaoh to release Egypt, to release Israel, because the Egyptians didn't experience that because they didn't know about the Passover. But again, it's this, this animal was sacrificed to redeem Israel from the angel of death. Now, that's important for us to understand. Just think about this for a moment, okay? Um, uh, a clean firstborn uh, had to be sacrificed. The unclean firstborn had to be redeemed. Now, let, let's jump from the Old Testament all the way up to the New Testament in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. One day Jesus is walking and John the Baptist sees him, and he says to those that are gathered with him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's calling Jesus the Lamb of God who redeems the world from sin, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, think that one through. Jesus was God's firstborn, his only child. Uh, he was pure Perfect. He was referred to as a spotless lamb. Um, 
he was completely perfect and clean. We, on the other hand, were born unclean. We're sinners. Uh, we are, are fully active in our sin nature. And now think back about what we saw happen at the Exodus. Uh, they took a clean animal and sacrificed it to redeem the unclean. Um, so Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was sacrificed on a cross. His blood was spilt to save us, to redeem us from sin. So you see how this concept of the firstborn comes all the way full for, forward into the uh, New Testament. Just another uh, interesting observation. You know when you paint that door frame with the blood? Sort of looks a little bit like a cross some couple of times when you hit the door frames and the sun. So, so, you know, the, the firstborn belongs to God. And if it's a clean animal, it has to be sacrificed. If it's an unclean animal, it has to be redeemed. After God saved Israel's, uh, from the firstborn of Israel by the blood of the lambs, uh, they were able to leave their captivity in Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh let them go. Um, and, but God said this to Israel. He said, never, never forget. Never forget this. That's why today Jewish people still celebrate the Passover. They were told never to forget this. And, and going back to the book of Exodus chapter 13, this is what it says. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh st stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. So God was telling Israel to tell their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, each successive generations, that the reason we sacrifice a lamb on Passover is to remember how God delivered us with a mighty hand, how he redeemed us out of captivity. Now think that one through for followers of Jesus Christ today. When we sit down with our kids or our grandkids or with our friends that we want to share Jesus. We can say, you know, there was a time when I lived in slavery to sin. There was a time where, I, where sin was my slave master and I was far from God. I was even an enemy of God. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, my life was redeemed. My sin was forgiven. I was washed clean and made new. And that's why I believe in Jesus. And that's why I follow him. And that's why I give him everything that I can because he has given me everything that I have. It's the principle of the firstborn. And we see how God took that from the days where Israel was a slave in Egypt and brought it all the way to us today through Jesus Christ. And, you know... Don't forget, God said, the firstborn belongs to me. There's, there's something powerful about first, and we're going to take it even a little bit further. So we're going to go into the principle of the first fruits. Um, this concept of the first fruits uh, is something uh, that we see all throughout the, the Old Testament. Uh, and Jesus himself in the New Testament is referred to one of the first fruits of God because he was uh, given for us. Um, in the book of Exodus, again, we read this. 
the first of the first fruits of your land shall you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So notice the priority, the first of your first fruits, uh, um, not the leftovers, not what you have left after you take care of everybody. Um, and you're supposed to bring it into the house of the Lord. You're supposed to give it to God. Uh, a little later on, I'm going to share with you a verse where it says it belongs to God. So the first of the of your animals, the firstborn, and the first fruits of your crops belong to God. They're considered to be the best. Um, they're offered to God as uh, giving back to God what he says belongs to him. And, and this is a practice, again, uh, that comes from the Old Testament. But this is something important because some people say, well, you know, this whole idea of, of tithing and first fruits is, an, uh, is a part of the Old Covenant uh, law. This was actually expressed and shown to us before Moses received the law. In fact, if you go back into the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, you see this with Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. So let me turn to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses. Now, if you know, uh, Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd. And we read this in Genesis 4, beginning at verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked down with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. You ever wondered why God favored Abel's offering and not Cain's? Did you notice what it said? It said, Cain brought some of his harvest after some time. After some time had passed. Abel, on the other hand, brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock. It's very clear that Cain didn't give God from the first fruits of his harvest. And Abel did give God the firstborn of his flocks. Now, think this one through. One, one scholar has said this, both giver and gift were under the scrutiny of God. Cain's offering did not measure up because he retained the best of his produce for himself. God wants us to make him a priority. That's this whole thing about the firstborn and the first fruits, to give God the best, the first of what we uh, are able to produce. It's, it's about the priority of the offering. Uh, it's giving God the best so that we can live off the rest. Making God a priority is a step of faith. And we see that in what God instructed the children of Israel to do. And, you know, it, it comes through with this thought like this. You know, it, it takes a step of faith. So if, if I am a herdsman or a farmer, I have this kind of uh, idea that, wow, I'm supposed to give God my first born animal. What if I don't have any more animals that year? Or I'm supposed to give God the first of my harvest. What if a hailstorm comes and wipes out everything after the first harvest? It takes faith. It takes trust. Abel offered his offering in faith, saying, God, I'm going to give you the firstborn, trusting you to take care of me. Cain said, I'm going to harvest it. I'm going to take some for me and my loved ones, and I'll give some to God later. 
Abel gave first and trusted God to take care of him. The great reformer Martin Luther said this, the faith of the individual was the weight which added value to Abel's offering. You see, the faith of Abel is what gave such power and weight to what he was doing. He said, I'm going to give you the firstborn and I'm going to trust you that there'll be others and that you'll provide for me. In the book of Proverbs, we read this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So this verse tells us that we're supposed to honor God with the first fruits of our increase. We're supposed to honor God with our possessions. For Abel, that was with his flocks. For Cain, that was with his crops. The increase was what they made that year. It was, for lack of a better word, their income. When we work, we make an income and we're supposed to honor God with the first fruits of that income. That's an act of worship. We say that uh, every Sunday that we believe that giving our tithes and offerings is an act of worship. So here's a question. Were they supposed to give all of the increase that God gave them? No. He said give them a portion of the increase. In the book of Leviticus, that portion is spelled out. It says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So it's, it's not ours. It's God's. It belongs to him. God's saying that portion is a priority for me. You're supposed, I gave it to you along with the other percentage, but I want you to give it back to me. Now, let me circle back to that verse from Proverbs. Remember, it said, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. But then the second verse, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When we give God our first fruits of our increase, he says that there's going to be a blessing for us. Now, he said it right there. He said, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. Let me be clear. We're not talking about a, a prosperity gospel philosophy. We're not talking about if you give, God's going to give you something in return. It's this idea that we understand that when we make God a priority, when we put him first in our lives, we understand he's going to take care of our needs. We give God the best and we live off the rest. Now, please, again, uh, don't take that to mean that if you tithe, that you know, God's going to automatically make you a millionaire. Your, your financial situation may stay the same. That's not what that's about. It's understanding that he's going to bless you, that he's going to take care of you, that we trust that we can give him that first 10% and we can live off the rest because he's going to bless us to be able to do that. If you were here last Sunday, I share with you a biblical philosophy for managing money, which comes straight out of Scripture. It's not, it's not advice I could give. It's, I say it's the best advice you can give. And basically I said this, you know, give God the first 10%, save the next 10%, and then live off of the rest of the 80%. If you want to change those percentages and make them, give more than 10 or save more than 10, that's up to you. But, but trust God and live off of the rest. So God made it clear. 
that his way of managing our worldly wealth was something that we were supposed to trust him in it. And he says in another place in scripture, if you don't trust me, then test me. He said, test me in this whole idea of giving me the tithe because the tithe belongs to me, God says. And so in, in the prophet Malachi, we read these words where God says, test me. So let's look at that. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So through the prophet Malachi, God's calling the people of Israel. He's calling his people out. He's saying, listen, if you don't trust me in this, test me in this. If you don't trust me, test me. If you don't trust me, test me and see if I won't bless you. He's saying, listen, the tithe belongs to me. If you're keeping it, you're robbing me. So test me. In other words, he's saying, I, I blessed you with everything you have. I blessed you with the increase of your crops or of your herds or of your income. And I'm telling you that if you return to me the tithe that belongs to me, I will bless you. Now, again, this isn't a, a prosperity, prosperity gospel thing, but it's understanding that God will bless us. You know, I, when I talk to people who tithe, when they tell me they tithe to a person, they say, you know, I am blessed. I am blessed. I've never heard anybody that tithe say, I'm not blessed. And that, those are testimonies over and over again. So there's this idea that God says, you know, I have given you everything you have in this world, in this life to take care of and enjoy, it says in Scripture, while you're here. But the tithe belongs to me. Will you trust me in this? So that was the uh, principle of the firstborn, the principle of the first fruits. Now, I want to talk about why we do this, okay? And I call that the partnership with God. God desires for his sons and daughters to be in partnership with his mission to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world and change it forever, all right? After Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to fill the lives of every individual believer. We celebrate that day. We call it Pentecost, the day the church was born. And the word in the New Testament Greek for church is the word ekklesia. Uh, the, the word ekklesia basically means this, an assembly of people. An assembly of people. It doesn't mean an assembly house. It doesn't mean a church building. It doesn't mean any structure. In fact, it doesn't mean any geographical location because we know that where two or more are gathered together in Jesus' name, he says, there I am. And that's a church. That's an assembly of people. That's an ecclesia. So we as brothers and sisters in Christ are the, are the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, on this rock, Meaning the church, I will, he said, I will build the church. He was talking about the rock of Peter. He was talking about on this rock, I will build the church. So that means his followers, he will build the church. And he says, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. 
we have been called in the partnership with God to build his church all around the world, to be a part of what he wants to do in this world. And he's invited us to be in that mission with him and be in that partnership. So the reason that he says to us that I blessed you in all these ways, he says, listen, I want you to use what I blessed you with to be a part of my mission to change the world so people will come to know my son, Jesus Christ, and receive eternal life and be filled with the Holy Spirit while they live on this earth. You see, the purpose of the church was to teach people to love God and to love people and to change the world. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you learned to love God. You learned that's worship. That you learned that God loves you and you want to learn, love him in return. And we, we learned that from the greatest commandment. And, and then we learned to love people. And that's the second commandment Jesus said. This is the greatest. This is the next. It's like it. And that was to love people by sharing with them about Jesus and helping them become mature followers of Christ and, and helping them build community in the church and, and helping them serve one another and care for them and use their gifts. And then Jesus commissioned his followers. And he says, I want you to go all the world and tell people about me and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've taught because that's going to change the world. That's going to change their lives. They're going to be different people because they believe in Jesus. Now think about that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you came to believe in him, you didn't just become a Christian who was guaranteed eternal life. You became a part of God's team, his dream team to take his mission of love to the world. You're part of God's team. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love people. And he wants you to tell people about Jesus and change the world one life at a time. The, the Apostle Paul understood this. He understood that we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to be partners. And so he wrote oftentimes in his letters and he talked about being partners in the gospel, being partners with, uh, with him, with God, with Jesus. And so in the book of Philippians, we read this. He says, in all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, we're partners forever. We're partners until Jesus comes back. We're partners on earth. We'll be partners in heaven. We'll be part of what God is doing. Don't you want to be a part of what God is doing? The definition of a partner is this, a person who takes part in another's undertaking. A person who takes part in somebody else's undertaking. We've been called to be partners in the gospel, to, be, to take part in God spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And he's called us and he's equipped us with gifts and talents. He's given us time on this earth, our life, and he's given us treasure and increase to use to build his kingdom. And yes, to enjoy part of this life. So I want to ask you a question this morning. 
Will you do all you can to be a partner with God? I, I was thinking about this this week. You know, uh, in September of 2000, we started this church called Valley Brook. And as we were preparing to start the church, uh, we began to meet with a, a bunch of people who were interested in and prayed about coming on board to be a part of this. And then when it all boiled down to a couple weeks before we launched, may have been about four dozen people. So we launched on September 10th, 2000, and God did something miraculous. Uh, those four dozen people came, and it more than tripled. There are over 170 people there that first day. And since that time, we've seen over 530 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen well over 300 people make their faith in Jesus Christ public by being baptized, many of them in the brook right behind the church here. And we've seen people's lives change for eternity. We've seen their worlds change. We've seen people who were far from God become followers of God. We've seen people who were broken be healed. We've seen people who were in relationship or marriage distress see reconciliation. We've seen people who were sick become healed. We've seen people who had no clue where they were going in life have direction and a purpose for living. We've seen people who didn't understand that God had, had gifted them with, with talents and spiritual gifts to build up the body, to discover them, begin to use them here and around the world. God wants us to be in partnership with him, to love him, to love people, and to change the world. The, the blessing that we get to be in partnership with him, we get to realize that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of something that will live on this earth longer than we do and will live on into eternity. We get that blessing. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Ultimately, God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He's given you everything you have. He's given you your time, your talent, your treasure. And he says, listen, I want you to be my follower. I want you to be with me forever and eternity. And I want, to, want you to take what you have. And yes, you can enjoy it, but I also want you to use it to build my kingdom, to change the world one life at a time. Will you do it? Will you do it? It's a question every single one of us has to answer. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it starts there. You decide to follow Jesus Christ. And then you begin to, to do this. And listen, this morning I want to leave you with a challenge, and it's this. If Valley Brook's your church home, you know that we launched something early this year called Growth Track. Growth Track happens uh, four Sundays out of the month. Uh, today's Growth Track is actually going to happen at 1245. That's a little change of plans, but 1245, it'll be step four. I want to encourage every single one of you who call Valley Brook your church home to take all of the Growth Track. You're going to learn about what it means to be connected in the church. You're going to discover what your spiritual gifts are, and you're going to get excited about that. And then you're going to learn how you can use those gifts to influence the world, to be leaders in your sphere of influence. And then you're going to learn how you can use those gifts here in the body of Christ, in this area where we serve and around the world. Don't you want to be a part of that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, my challenge is take Growth Track. It's happening every week, okay? Take it. And here's the other challenge I want to give you. You know, we've been talking about uh, being simply rich. We are simply rich. If you live in the United States, you're rich. You know, I told you this the first week we got together. 
If you make more than $32,500, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. We are rich, but it's even beyond money. Everything we have that God has given us that we recognize. Will you use your time, your talent, your treasure? Will you reorient your life around that? I want to encourage you. Take the growth track. The other thing I want to encourage you is this. You know, I started off telling you I was going to explain about what the tithe is. So I've given you all the background. I've told you what God says through the prophet Malachi. You test me. If you're not tithing, test God. Start tithing. See if, if he won't bless you. See if the blessing made is simple as to realize I can give God my first 10% and I can live on the rest without any problem. I just never tried it before. Really what I'm asking you to do is to take a stand to use all that God's blessed you with for God's kingdom. Will you take a stand for him? We're going to close with a song called The Stand. When you stand with arms out and wide open and your heart surrendered to God, to say, I'll do whatever you call me to do. Would you stand with me and sing The Stand? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc. 